I'm Christian, and welcome to the Gemoir Leadership Podcast, a show where we talk about effective collaboration, influence, and leadership in an increasingly complex world. My interview partner is Dr. Dirk Schlimm. Dirk is an international leadership expert and the author of Influencing Powerful People. The purpose of this podcast is to share ideas and stimulate discussion, and it does not constitute professional advice of any kind. If such advice is needed, the services of a competent professional should be sought. The speakers, hosts, and Gemar International Incorporated are not to be held responsible for any use, misuse, or reuse of the content. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Gemar Leadership Podcast. Today, we are talking about different business ownership models, how they affect business culture and strategy, and how the cultures can collide. Dirk, just jumping into a bit right now, it sounds rather abstract. So maybe as we begin, can you start by explaining what you mean by ownership model? Yeah, thanks, Christian. When we when we think about a business, there are always three core stakeholders. So first, they're the customers of the business. And really, without customers, you can't really have uh, a business. Um, then there are the people who work there, and that includes management, employees, or workers. Um, so that's a second stakeholder group, if you will. And then there are the owners and, and the owners of the business. And this ownership can come in different forms. So, for example, a corporation can be owned by public uh, company shareholders. That means anyone can buy a share in, in the company. So that's what known what's known as a publicly traded company or a public company. So an example would be Amazon or, or General Motors. Um, then there are entrepreneurial companies that are substantially owned or controlled by the founder. And interesting enough, an example in Canada would be Good Life Fitness. They have 450 fitness studios, but they're still owned by, by the person who, who, who founded this and started this off really with the, uh, with the first, uh, first studio. Uh, then there are multi-generational family businesses, some of which can go back uh, 100 years or, or further. So an example would be Cargill, which is an American food corporation uh, that was founded in, in the 1800s. And then government can also own businesses. So, so for example, Canada Post Corporation uh, is owned by, by the Canadian government. And, and of course, there are businesses where these ownership forms are are mixed, but but again, the form of ownership can have a big influence on the culture of the company. Okay, Dirk, thanks for that explanation. That's very helpful. So my question is now, how is it that the ownership model can influence a company's culture? Sure, sure. So let, let's take maybe two, two opposite ends of the spectrum here. So, so if you take an, an entrepreneurial company, and a government-owned company, the entrepreneurial company will make decisions very quickly and may even change their minds on uh, decisions. They will try something. If it doesn't work, they will try something else. And they, they call that in modern management parlance, it's called their, their agile. And then a crown corporation, uh, they have a lot more rules to follow. They have a lot more stakeholders to consider. It's still very uh, political. They're very much in the in the public eye. And, and so decision-making will often take longer uh, and changes will be harder to make. Right, Dirk, that makes sense. But do you have an example to really clarify that? Yeah, sure. So maybe even when, when you think back and onto one of our earlier episodes, we talked about Elon uh, Musk, the CEO of Tesla, and he's one of the most 
uh, famous entrepreneurs of our time. And even though Tesla is publicly traded, it is still a very entrepreneurial company with, with Mr. Musk at the helm. And, and you remember that he had decided to buy the social network company, uh, Twitter, for $44 billion. And then he changed his mind, which led to a, a lawsuit from Twitter. And now just last week, we had another announcement that he wants to buy Twitter Twitter after all. And, and so you, so you, you can uh, see that here. And we, we just would not expect something like this from a, from a government-owned uh, corporation. That, that it would just not, I don't think it would be happening uh, that way, really. Right, Dirk. That makes a lot of sense. I couldn't imagine Canada Post having that kind of drama. And I guess just bringing it back down to where we might be, I guess if hypothetically, if I were to move from one type of company to another, this can be a bit of a culture shock. And I really need to know which environment would be best suited for me as an employee. If I work at a place like Tesla, I have to, I guess, learn to roll with the punches that come with uh, a figure like Elon Musk at the helm. Yeah, question exactly. So you really want to be sure that you can be effective in the type of environment uh, you're in. And, and I've seen this, for example, when a smaller company or startup was acquired by a larger corporation, people really can have a hard time uh, adjusting. And so you need to understand the rules of the game for uh, the type of company you're in. Uh, the same way you need to understand the rules of the game for the type of industry or uh, profession uh, you're in. And, and so any kind of manager job starts with a technical uh, proficiency, say in engineering and finance or in marketing. So that's really your base and that's uh, incredibly important. But then when you start to manage, you have to build on that. You have to add people skills. So that would be, let's say, the, the, the second layer here. And then the third layer really are the organizational skills or organizational savvy. It's It's answering the questions, how do we do things around here and then that you can be uh, effective and bring your uh, technical proficiency and people skills to bear in that environment that you're in. Right. That makes a lot of sense, Dirk. But earlier we got to talking about how these cultures can collide. So where does that come in? Yeah. So um, while there are different forms of ownerships, as we just uh, talked about, they're not always as neatly separated as you would expect. And, and just alluded to this earlier. So think about the Elon Musk and, and, and Twitter example. So Tesla uh, is a publicly traded uh, company, uh, but Elon Musk still is the quintessential uh, entrepreneur. So, so you, you, you have that dynamic. And they're also family-owned companies, so multi-generational uh, family companies that are publicly traded. So for example, Walmart is a, is a great example of a publicly traded family company. So that means that you and I, we can buy shares in Walmart, but the heirs of the founder, Sam Walton, still own over 50% of the company and they're, they're, they control the company. Right, Dirk, that's fascinating. And it brings up some household names here. And it's just fascinating to think about it. So maybe just to bring some more out of this here, are there any other examples of different kinds of mixed ownership models? Yeah, and that's really uh, the art, uh, Christian. And that's that's really the point of today's uh, uh, episode. So I, I just read uh, an article in the Wall Street Journal, and I really uh, recommend for for people uh, uh, to uh, who are listening in to, to to read this. And and the article talks about how more and more family businesses are being bought out by private equity companies. 
Mm, private equity. That is a term I have heard, Dirk, but maybe you could give us a brief explanation of what private equity is. Yeah, so a private equity company is 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 a company that pools the investments of wealthy individuals or public pension funds, and then they buy uh, they buy companies. So you and I uh, could not invest here uh, in into into that uh, uh, company, and and that's why it's called a uh, private equity as opposed to publicly traded company where where everybody can buy buy share. So so that means that the the company. Uh, um, that's being bought now has an uh, outside investor, but this investor becomes much more involved in running uh, the business, and this investor brings their own agenda and purpose to uh, to the company. Okay, Dirk. So with this example, how do cultures collide here? Yeah. So family companies or founder-led companies often have a very long time horizon. They, they build a business for uh, the long term, maybe even for the, the next generations or a generation uh, down the line. And they often build on, on a solid financial uh, foundation. So they, they have low or very low, uh, low debt. And, and they often pursue purposes beyond just making, uh, making money. So, so I worked uh, early in my career in a founder-led uh, company and pursuing environmental causes was a big part of the company's purpose and they even meant spending uh, extra money on this like donations to environmental charities or sometimes meant taking a bit of a controversial stand that that some uh, industry industry players uh, wouldn't wouldn't like right Dirk and I'm getting the sense that an underlying idea is that private equity might not do those things yeah so so that's right of course they're they're very different companies and they have very different uh, purposes but uh, at it, at its core uh, private equity companies make their money by buying companies and then selling them in a fairly short time sometimes it's maybe five six seven years so so it's a much shorter uh, time uh, horizon and they have to to answer to their uh, investors um, of course so so they typically have a have a shorter shorter outlook and also they will finance the purchase of the company with bet with debt so the the, the private equity uh, company will put some of their own money into it but they will also borrow money to finance a purchase which means that the company they have bought that previously had little debt now overnight may have uh, substantial debt and that debt has to be paid back and interest has to be paid as well so so you can go from a financially stable company to a company that has a lot more risk and and what i have experienced uh when working uh with with, with people in in that situation they thought we are uh, uh, performing well here, but now that they have been taken over, the expectations have uh, uh, gone up significantly. And the term that they use is success has been priced in. And, and so uh, a certain level of performance is now no longer a big accomplishment. It is uh, expected. And so, so what was great performance yesterday is expected performance uh, today. And that can be uh, a bit of an adjustment. Okay, Dirk, thanks for outlining all that. But as always, let me challenge this a little bit. It sounds like in this type of model of ownership, that transition is quite common. And we have also seen the blended models with Tesla and Walmart. So wouldn't the people involved know all this? 
Yeah, so, so Christian, that, that's actually an excellent, um, excellent uh, question. And I had the opportunity to discuss this uh, uh, with the different private equity organizations, actually. And uh, I um, had an event on this with the Healthcare Private Equity Association in, in New York. And so their member, members are very smart people uh, who buy healthcare companies, different types of clinics, and even veterinary uh, services. And so we had an entire evening talking about this, what happens. When, when they acquire uh, a company with a strong-willed founder, a strong-willed founder, and founders often are uh, strong-willed, and they want that strong uh, personality as part of their company, but they also want some uh, want to set the direction for the firm, and, and they want to bring in a, a new direction, and so that can lead to, to difficult conversations. And what I've learned from this and other experiences is that, that people intellectually understand that change is coming, but when it does happen, it is still different. And, and people find it actually quite hard to imagine what it is like to work in a different culture when you have never done this or never have experienced this before. Right, Dirk, I hear what you're saying, but my next question might be the obvious. What's the solution? Yeah, so Krishna, uh, there's a couple of things here, but before a private equity company buys a family company or uh, an entrepreneurial uh, company, they will look at that company in, in a lot of detail. And that's what they call due diligence. And due diligence, very important, requires a lot of discipline. And a sophisticated private equity company will not just look at the technology, the customers, the market position, the finances, and so on. They will also take a very close look at the people uh, involved. They will look at the leadership and management of the company. And, and sometimes they will hire uh, psychological assessment companies for this as well, because the, the people are are so important. And I think that's a very smart practice to really look at that leadership and management team as part of your um, due diligence uh, process. But what's talked about a lot less in my experience is that due diligence can also go the other way. So, so, so if the founder or the family want to stay in the business, and so they're really bringing this private equity company as a as a partner and an investment and part owner into the company, then that due diligence has to go the other way um, as well. So if if they uh, have to want to stay in, in the business, they have to do their due diligence on the people who will be at least at some level uh, calling the shots or will be part of calling uh, the shots. And again, for a company founder, that's often a new experience. Uh, hard to imagine uh, when you have been the boss for, for so long. And you also have to realize that your potential buyer is probably quite skilled at talking to entrepreneurs. You're not the first company uh, um, they're buying. They, they know how to talk to you. And, and so you want to dig a bit deeper. And you, you also have to realize that sometimes we hear uh, what we want to hear here, so you have to listen uh, very carefully when you do your reverse due diligence, if you if want to call it that. Right, Dirk. So we have to be looking on both sides of the equation here. So we need a bit of a, a two-way or coming from both directions, due diligence and the ability to listen carefully, which again, makes a lot of sense. And as you're saying that, I'm coming to the conclusion sometimes, especially in this context, we have to listen as much for what is said and what is not said. Well, wow, that's actually, Kirsten, that's a, that's a great, great point. And I think uh, I'm glad you made that point. Great, Derek, I'm glad. So then a follow-up question, 
what do we do about all this when we are in this situation? How do we manage these different perspectives? Yeah, uh, Christian, good co conflict management is is absolutely essential in that situ situation, and we we really should have a full full session on uh, on that. All right, Dirk. Then we better give a bit of a teaser here. What would you say is the most important or critical principle with all this? Yeah, yeah, Christian. So so there are a few things. So uh, to me, the most important one is is this: we we really must make a conscious efforts to get along and solve differences constructively. So, so this really has to become a performance measure like uh, financial or sales targets are performance measures. We must recognize that differences and differences in perspectives are normal. In fact, they have to be uh, expected given that those different business cultures are uh, colliding. And so we must ask ourselves periodically, how well are we doing in working out our our differently our differences? So, how do the other people involved uh, perceive us, and what's their perspective? And and I think, for example, we should really do this debrief after every board meeting, so it becomes normal to talk about these things rather than waiting for a problem to occur. And and then it gets awkward. But if we get the relationship right, I think the fusion of different business cultures can actually become a bit of an advantage right the best of both worlds so to speak yeah that that's that's right and and i think if we can combine the passion and drive of an entrepreneurial company with the rigor and discipline uh, of a private uh, equity company and then solve those issues constructively i think this can be uh, a powerful combination uh, but it is a it is a bit of an if and and so it's something we must uh, we must work on Okay, thank you, Dirk. That's very helpful. Those highlights, we'll have to revisit this topic in another episode. And I think just thinking about what you said, it's an excellent reminder that all relationships take work, and they all take some level, at least of self awareness. So again, looking forward to digging in. But for now, let me just summarize a bit of what we talked about today. First of all, we need to remember that there are different business ownership models, and that these models have a big influence on the company culture. Secondly, we must understand that the culture of the company we are in, we have to work within that and be aware that if we change companies, we might have to adjust. Even if it's within the same industry or area of expertise, culture can be very powerful and we have to be able to navigate it. Thirdly, culture can collide when companies change their ownership model. Public companies can become private and vice versa. Private equity companies can buy family companies, so on and so forth. This type of culture change must be carefully managed to be successful. And we must make building strong relationships and leadership performance expectations a priority. So, Dirk, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think, uh, Christian, I think that's really it. It's uh, well summarized as always. <laughs> I really got nothing to add here. All right, Dirk, that's what I'm hoping to hear. That's great because we are out of time for today's episode. So, Dirk, Thank you for, so much for sharing and everyone listening. Thanks for tuning in again to the Jamoir Leadership Podcast. And just in case you don't know, we are on your all your favorite podcast catching apps. So find us if you have an iPhone on Apple or Spotify or wherever else you listen to your podcast. We're there and we love to be a part of your regular routine every other Monday. So we will catch you again in two weeks. Bye.